there, I'm Vicki Howell, and this is episode 14 of Craftish. This episode is sponsored by Makers Mercantile. Makers Mercantile is a space for fueling your creativity and inspiring you to make with any medium you feel passionate about. Their online shop carries supplies for sewing, weaving, knitting, crochet, and dyeing, plus curated gifts, books, craft storage, apparel, and more. They actually have a physical store too, and it's located just outside of Seattle in Kent, Washington. And I had the pleasure of stopping by during a recent trip and just fell in love with the space. It was filled with amazing fabric from companies like Cotton and Steel and Liberty of London. They had a huge selection of yarn, including some from Haiku, Zitron, and Chappelle. They had jewelry and kits by local artists, a huge list of classes, and a gluten-free bakery in the back of the shop. So if If you live in the Seattle area, obviously stop by that shop, but no matter where you are in the world, you can check them out online at makersmercantile.com. This week on the show is my good friend, crafty chica, Kathy Cano-Murillo. Kathy is an artist, writer, creative entrepreneur, and motivational speaker. Yesterday, she and I sat down to talk about her journey from local reporter in Arizona to internationally renowned artists, about how following your passion trumps any naysayer's opinion of your work, and how we were technically OG mommy bloggers before that was even a thing. Kathy's enthusiasm and positivity is contagious, so I'm so happy to be sharing her with you now. Kathy Conomario, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Thanks for having me. I wanted to start with Something from a conversation that you and I had, I think it was for my book um, from in 2009, Craft Corps, and we were talking a lot, well, you and I over the years have spent a lot of time talking about people's pathways and sort of the the roadblocks that can go up um, and not go up, and, and you shared um, sort of your pathway beginning in in high school with an art class and I wanted I've been using your story of how maybe it wasn't you weren't the most successful in that class and and Mm -hmm. and have become who you are today I have to say that over the decades since I wrote that book or less than that I've used you and that story as an example to encourage so many people and I wanted to know if you would just share it again here oh definitely you know there's actually a couple stories from school. Like when when I was younger, I loved art class. And one of the most heartbreaking things as a little kid, like one of the most exciting things is when your artwork gets put up on the cafeteria wall for parent-teacher conferences. Mine was never put up on the wall. <laughs> and so I kind of had a feeling then that maybe it wasn't, you know, I wasn't as good as some of the other students. And then just along the way, so that was like maybe second or third grade. And then once I got into high school, I took a crafts class. I took a ceramics class. And when I found my report cards, I actually saw that I got C's and even some C minuses in those classes. But I loved those classes. And I remember when I think back, I remember just doing things my way like they would always give us the proper technique and pattern to follow and then at the end everyone's was supposed to look relatively exactly alike and mine never did and I I just kind of stuck with me of like you know 
I suck at this. I'm not very good. And when it came to where I was older and I could not deny how much I loved making things, I, I, I held back for a while because I thought, well, gosh, I suck at it. Like I didn't do well in school at it. But then I overcame that and I was like, who cares? That was then. This is now. Those teachers aren't there to grade me. I'm just going to do it my own way in my own style purely because I love doing it. And once I started doing that, that's what really set me free to develop my own style. And I just stopped comparing it to what was on trend or what Martha was doing or, you know, what sells, all of that. I just really focused on doing what I love to do and then finding the commonalities in everything that I made to, to be able to say, yeah, that's my signature style. And it feels so good now when I think back at that time where I can say, you know what, if only those teachers could see me now of what I did and and if I had been another person, I could have let that hold me back, those grades and the, the way they judged it and the way they denied me the opportunity to share what I did. And I think times are different now where they put everybody's art up on the cafeteria wall, which is a good thing. But it really does mess with you. And mm-hmm. and I just reached a point to where I was I was. I took it as a source of inspiration and ambition to prove them wrong (laughs) that I was meant to do this. Yeah. And, you know, I I just want, I really hope that people hear what you're saying, whether there's any teenagers listening, which I kind of feel highly doubtful, but, um, but also just anybody who's trying to express themselves creatively. If somebody is telling you, giving you negativity about it, that doesn't mean that you have a problem, that you're not good enough. Maybe mm-hmm. it means that their opinion differs from you, or maybe it just means that you haven't found your medium. But it's not, you know, creativity is not something that can really truly be defined as when it comes to value. Uh huh. And yeah. I think that you're the perfect example of that. I mean, getting, you know, C minus in art school and high <laughs> school would be a lot to, I mean, I, I've seen this with one of my own sons who's been in honors, you know, art for, or not honors, but he's been in like advanced art for a couple of years, but he gets really not great grades in it, but he keeps to at it because he likes it. And I keep telling him, maybe you just haven't found your medium. I mean, if you feel like this isn't as good as you'd like it to be, maybe you just haven't found your medium yet. And I love that you you kept going um, until you found your medium. I I was wondering, do you always have, did you have that moxie as a younger kid too? And that Um, determination? You know what? I did. I always have been, I think like being a little Mexican girl in a non-Latino school and being chubby and my hair would never feather. I always was kind of the underdog where I didn't quite fit in, but I didn't know why. And that made me, try to overachieve in other areas like being funny and making people laugh or you know drawing cute pictures or happy sayings and to make people smile and that's really where a lot of that came from I think like now as an adult when I look back like that's how I won people over is is just you know by breaking past what their initial opinion was and I think it's something, it's not only about determination, though, and and proving people wrong and everything, but it's also about being open to learn to get better. So even though 
like say I got a C in that craft class and because I wanted to learn it my own way. And what I've learned is like, okay, I want to be better at drawing a face. Let me spend some time research you know, all of the different ways to draw a face and practice and practice and practice until I find my own style. My husband's an artist, so I could, I would show things to him and he'd say, oh, this is great, but, you know, make the nose a little bit bigger so that it lines up with here. And and, and once I got the basics down, then I could fly and readjust it any way that I wanted. So it's a balance of letting go of that criticism, but also being open to learning techniques and new things so that you can keep practicing to get better. And if you can find that right balance, you can do anything because then you have um, you have the skill and the will. You can't be all will and no skill or all skill and no will. Right, <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And don't you think that that, that, uh, that actual openness that you're talking about is the impetus for creativity? Oh, yeah. I mean, the main thing is to have the right reason for wanting to create and not adding the pressure of, oh, I need to make this to sell to make money or, oh, oh, I want to win this award. Oh, I want to get a good grade. You know what? That hinders creativity. Do it because you love to do it and challenge yourself to try new things. And that's, that's the best part of it. You have said, um, you know, part of your sort of mission is to make a living spreading the gospel of glitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what what does that mean to you? What it means to me is, um, I mean, in the craft world, we all love sparkle glitter. I some of it is safe specs, like the glitter that's embedded in you know in glue that won't get all over the place, and we like that it gleams and it just is brilliant and catches your eye. Oh my gosh, it's so sparkly. Well, I started thinking, you know, what is the figurative angle of that? And to live our life to have that kind of sparkle as well. And that's where I thought, you know what, spreading the gospel of glitter is like just to always strive to do something that has some sparkle to it that will put a light in people's eyes. Whether if it's something that you made or something that you say to someone, the way you make someone feel, just taking that extra effort to say, what is the sparkle I can add to this to make it my own special twist? And I I just love looking at things through that way because once you empower yourself to do that, it's like you realize how you can touch so many people's lives in a positive way when you otherwise would be invisible. Do you think that that was always sort of something that drove you or is it something that you've grown into more that you've you've become established when you so you started in sort of this branch of, of what you do now you started full time um, writing for the Arizona Republic they had you do a craft column mm-hmm. and you started there now that's not that's not two way communication that's straight up old school print well actually, did you write it that way or was it, it online started before that um, because First of all, in high school, I was always doing, I was on journalism staff, newspaper yearbook. 
I would find out, I found out that um, the drummer from this punk band called JFA, Jody Foster's Army, went to our high school. And so I found him and I interviewed him and spotlight, put the spotlight on it, this national band <laughs> that he was here at our school. And I just always had that knack for wanting to shine a light on people who I felt were deserving but maybe be overlooked. And so I did a lot of reporting on music and bands and art in high school. And once I got married and I started doing the art business with my husband, I still did freelance writing for different local magazines and different art magazines, even some um, art zines in the music scene in Phoenix. I just always kept that writing going. And you know, back then there wasn't a lot of two-way communication. It was just you write it and you put it out there. And with the newspaper, it actually did allow two-way communication because people could write me back mm. or call me. Um, I would get, you know, letters from guys in prison who would watch my crafty TV segment on the news <laughs> and send me pictures of what they were making with my craft call. Mm. So I love that. Once I realized the power of connecting with people through creativity and through writing, I just, I couldn't stop. And I think it comes from a place of like maybe being a middle child of, you know, my brother was the super smart one and my little sister was the super cute one. And I just kind of had to be the one to throw the glitter in the air and blow the party horn. Like, Whoa, look what I'm doing. Hello. You had to find so your shine. Kinda, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it just kind of stuck with me from there. When you started your website, craftychica.com, it was before they were called blogs. It was before mm -hmm. blogs at all. And at the time, you, and then later, one of my sites, there were only, I mean, 10, 10 craft sites back mm -hmm. then, don't you think? Maybe around 2000, 2001. Yeah, yeah. And it, so it was a completely different different world than um, for better or worse. I mean, people could find you really easily because, you know, you were it. <laughs> but at the same time, it was a lot. It wasn't as user friendly and people didn't know about it. But oh, it seems like even today, you know, so you started this website when most people didn't have craft websites. And today, even when I see you today, you're trying to talk me into spending more time on Snapchat, which is like, <laughs> you know, the technology, technology du jour. You've always been really great about staying on top of technology, even from the beginning. Is mm -hmm. that just a vision that you had at um, from minute one, or was to you was it just sort of this gateway of communication that you just sort of like jumped through? Well, I look at it like if someone gives me a huge box of free paint, I'm going to take that paint and I'm going to use it on anything and everything. And the internet and these platforms, these social media platforms, are like big boxes of free paint that we can use to help our business. And when I look at each new platform, I get excited because it's a new group of people for me to connect with and to build relationship with, to, to show them what I'm making and new friends. So I kind of look at each, I've always done this. I've looked at each one of them like a party that I want to go check out and see what the vibe is there and see how or if I can fit in there. 
And so I've never looked at it in like, oh my God, I have to be on this platform. I have to build my following and da, 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 da. I've never looked at it that way. Really? I looked at it like, you know what? I want to go have fun there. I want to go check this out. And I want to have a presence on there. And it just organically happened that, you know, I stick with the ones that have the most engagement, that have the most feedback. And what I found is that each one of them is different. Each one has its own personality. So I when I know when I'm on Snapchat, this is the kind of thing I'm going to show. I know when I'm on you know, Instagram, this is the kind of thing I'm going to show. Like each one has kind of a different motive. But all of them are interested. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, it's kind of surprising to me that you, because you have given so many social media talks and we spend so much time working on the business aspect that you didn't go into the individual ones talking about being on a platform and building your audience, that you really approached it the same way that you do your art. Mm-hmm. Um, open, we're back to that openness, which I think is interesting. Yes. I, I would love it if you would speak a little more... Um, to the points of how you break up your material for those different platforms. So you just said for Instagram, you would do something different than, you know, Snapchat. Talk a little bit about that. um, Well, right now, I would say my favorite platform right now is Snapchat because it reminds me of blogging back in like 2002, 2003, when it was very raw and imperfect and I mean, I would post status updates back then of everything like, oh, my God, my resin didn't cure last night and I'm on my way to a craft show. Blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. I would post that and then I'd post another post. I'm here at the craft show. Well, now I loved with those Snapchat, posts, though. I loved yeah, those posts. Exactly. And now with Snapchat, it's the same thing where it's kind of like a reality show because you're documenting life as it unfolds and how it happens and you know the other day if like from airport conversations with my daughter if we're arguing about something or car rides or I show a lot of craft fails like there is one day it was hilarious and, and I got the most engagement on this day when I was like oh my gosh I'm so excited I got all these new supplies and I have four projects to make today here's the sketches they're all lined out life of a professional crafter I like had you know like woo tooting my horn and then I'm like okay this one didn't quite turn out right. So I'm going to set this aside and go to the next one. And then the next one was, oh my God, this brogue, this tool brogue. (laughs) So by the end of the day, I was in tears and I'm sitting on the patio like, who am I anyway? I'm a failure. And I tried to be all perfect in my TV segments. I have to be there at six in the morning. And then the next morning was like, I'm okay. I got a lot of sleep. I'm here at the station. Here's what I ended up with for my projects. People were like um, snapping back to me. You got this crafty chica. Let us know. Like it was just so hilarious to see those things unfold. And sometimes I'll do skits like with my daughter will like plan out a funny skit and um you know just to keep people entertained and have fun and sometimes I'll do tutorials on there so for Snapchat it's very unscripted you know I just kind of go by the day of, of what's happening some days if I'm busy writing or on a deadline I'll go on and say hey guys you know I'm not going to be on here today I'm busy you know writing but I'll be back tomorrow have a great day that kind of thing And then for Instagram, it's very curated. You know, I know that Instagram, 
They want pretty pictures. They, I'm not going to expect them to click on a link to go anywhere. So I'm going to say, you know what, here is, um, you know, here's how I painted these shoes to look like oil cloth. You know, I sanded a little bit underneath the flower. I painted it. I put a seal. I'll, I'll like tell them in a few sentences how to do that project. And then for more, you know, I know they live on Instagram. So that's what's going to grow there. And then for Pinterest, I will curate boards of um, Mexi-style crafts and things for inspiration for parties or for home decor. Of I, you know, I have that as a library where people can go as a source to find cool ideas. My Facebook page, I pre-schedule all of those from. They, I always strive to have wow projects. So from all over the internet, I'll, I'll like pre-schedule those. And I have someone who helps me with all of the scheduling. And then the one that suffered a little bit is like my Facebook personal page. I don't really post on that one as much as I used to because what I used to post on there, I'm now posting on Snapchat. Mm. So that's where it's kind of changed a little bit. And, um, but I do try to keep up on that, but I, I feel like it just started becoming like so professional, which is not a bad thing, but I just love the freedom of Snapchat. So, you know, it's always keeping an eye out for it. And Facebook Live is awesome and Periscope doing live streaming. So it's just finding the right one for you. It doesn't mean you have to do all of them. It's just finding the one that you're most comfortable with. Right, right. You talked about doing skits with your daughter, and you've mentioned um, Maya a couple times uh, times now. I, I want to talk a little bit about raising your kids creatively. You have two mm-hmm. kids, and um, mm-hmm. uh, Maya and D'Angelo. And, and, and Maya has always been there next to you at the craft shows, selling your stuff, you know, helping you, you know, going on tour with you, whatever. And now she's grown into her own mm-hmm. entity, but not in the same way that you have. She really has kind of created her own thing now. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about how you infuse creativity into your sort of like kid rearing, really. Well, I think that in YouTube, Vicky, we were like the OG mom bloggers, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, our yeah, kids they just they like, just didn't call them that then, but right? Yeah. And I'm kind of glad they didn't because we were just creativity bloggers or whatever. Yeah. But my kids grew up with both parents pursuing their passions of, you know, music and art and writing. And by the time they were 16, I had bought them each their own URL. My son is the Geek Life. Yeah. And it's cosplay, gaming, my daughter, Maya's Maya in the moment. And he was a little bit slower to adapt to it than she was. And I didn't push him at all. Now it is, he has a full-time web development job, but his full-time passion project is the Geek Life, where he has a whole staff and he has this amazing website that's all about gaming and cosplay and just general geek stuff. And he goes to all the events around the country and he doesn't monetize it at all. It's strictly a passion project. Now, Maya. Does it, wait, hold on. Start, I got to stop you there, though, for a second. Does that make your eye twitch a little bit? A little, since you're a little like- bit. But <laughs> yeah, because I see so many missed opportunities. And he's coming around, you know, because 
I don't want to force him to do something that he doesn't want to do. He has a full-time job with benefits. So it allows him to do things in his sight the way that he wants to do them and not be dictated by anything. Um, He looks at it very much like old school journalism. He doesn't want to be tainted by the man, by the dollar, you know, and I kind of love that, you know, that like makes me feel good that he's staying so true to, um, you know, the editorial side of things. And Maya, she's a full-on digital entrepreneur with uh, Maya in the moment. So she has all these different platforms. Um, She's in the millennial marketplace. She does everything from um, brands. Like she just did one for gain detergent of like being a millennial and doing her own laundry. She did one for M&Ms. She does stuff for different cars. She's headed out to VidCon this week. Wow. And – So she works with all different brands. She does speaking engagements, all kinds of things all over the country. And she uses YouTube and Vine, all of those to to do. She does comedy and vlogs. Comedy, really? And fashion, and fashion. What about singing? She's also an amazing singer. She did singing for a while. She hasn't done as much singing um, these past couple years, but I think it's going to come around again. It's been such a joy, joy to watch her come into this thing that she's created. It's just, it, you just must be so proud. I am. I, I'm proud because I feel like each kid took what they needed to make their own space yeah. in, in the world of it all. And, you know, Maya has, she has done crafting, you know, for hired gigs, but that's not her first foray into, you know, she's like not so much into crafting, Yeah. but she is a lot into, you know, doing comedy skits. And some of them are just really cute. Like when you see them on Snapchat and, or she'll do short form for Vine or for, um, you know, her Facebook page or working with different companies. It's just fun to see her you know, be creative and, and take a campaign and make it her own. And then to be able to, you know, she's getting ready pretty soon to move on to another a big, big adventure that we can't mention yet. But I'm just really excited about it and that she's like taking it to the next level. Well, I think that that's something that you, you guys have given your kids um, is really them just growing and witnessing the promise that you and your husband Patrick made to each other, you know, when you first got married, right? Of yeah. of yes. living, doing an what you love. Life. Exactly. Living an and artful life. Yes. Teaching them along the way. Like if any of your listeners who, who are tuning into this right now, get your kids involved with what you're doing. Never think that they are too young to know what's going on. And you know, everything from merchandising, when we would do, you know, vending at an art event, I'd say, okay, you guys, this is um, the beauty spot right here. This is the sweet spot of the table. Whatever we put in this spot, it's going to draw people as they're walking by to come look at our booth. So it always has to look nice. If someone buys something from this spot, let's choose the next thing to put in that spot. And they take that with them now where they're like, okay, what is the sweet spot of my display? What is the sweet spot of my website? Like they took That's those amazing. little nuggets. So teach them along the way and have them get involved and help you because 
these are life skills. They can learn so much in school and in college, but the actual life skills, I mean, they cannot teach that in school. That's just through everyday living and smart decision making, working smarter, not harder, those kind of things. That's the best gift you can give to your kids is to teach them those life skills. When your kids were sort of grown enough that you could work full-time, craft full-time, crafting was not your job really full-time then, you also, and I didn't know this about you, friend, I didn't know you worked, or you went to school at night and got your BA, I had no idea, that's Uh amazing, Um, you got to a point where you were, you know, as we said, you were writing, and, but then there, there had to be a point where you made that switch from being a reporter to a full-time artist, crafter, whatever, however you want to define yourself. Do you remember what that time was like or, or was there oh, a big yeah. moment or did it slowly evolve? Well, my dream as a kid and in high school everywhere was to be an entertainment reporter at the Arizona Republic. And when I finally got to that position and finished my night school, my bachelor's degree, all of that, and I secured that position and I was doing it and I loved it and it was all interviewing celebrities about movies and doing movie reviews. And I reached a point where I thought, okay, is this it? Like, is this going to be the rest of my life now? Like, what happens when you reach that goal? I'd spent my whole life aiming for that. And then when I hit it, I thought, now what? And then I thought about Crafty Chica because that was my nighttime passion project. And I thought, could I really make a living off of that? Like, is that crazy of me? How would I even do that? And things started getting weird at the paper. Like I had an editor who was so mean and she made my life miserable. And I just, she took away the, the joy that I had for the job. And now that I look back on it, I realized the universe put her there right, to push right. me. It was to a gift. What, and, and I remember being in Barnes and Noble and like seeing that book, The Secret. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to. I don't know how, some way, somehow, I'm ready to go to leave the paper and pursue Crafty Chica, whatever that may be. And wouldn't you know, like just in a few months, that was when I went to CHA and I got, I spoke there and I got like three different offers for product lines, for Crafty Chica product lines. And one of them was from I Love to Create. And they asked me, you know, do you want to do this? And I go, sure, I'll do it on nights and weekends. And they're like, no, this would have to be full time. And they were able to put a package together that would, I would be dumb for me to say no, to leave from the newspaper. So I don't think I realized that. I don't think that I realized that it was the product line that made that leap. I thought you were already, you had made that leap when you were selling things off your website because this was before, this was before Etsy. So I have made a living you know, with our mortgage and our car and the kids and everything, you know, you know, my job gave me benefits. So being able to transition over to I Love to Create with a full-time salary and benefits and 401k, it made it easy for me to cross over. And even then, it was scary because I'd grown up my whole life thinking everyone will always need a newspaper. Like, that's a very secure industry. Well, I mean, how would you know? I know. know. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, four months after 
after I left the paper, they had massive layoffs. And but you know what? The same with the craft industry. It's like people will always be making stuff, you know. And so I stayed there, and I left in um, just this past. Um, summer like it's coming up on a year now that I left I love to create to do 100% entrepreneur crafty chica yeah. where I don't get a salary from anyone I make my own salary so you know it was a really good learning lesson and you know I made just why I always tell people you don't have to quit a job cold turkey like I had worked so hard building crafty chica at nighttime and on weekends that when it was time for me to make the change, it was already a moving train. Right. And that was a really smart move to do. And same thing when I went to leave to do do it full time without I love to create as, you know, paying my paycheck or whatever. I set it up months in advance. I knew this was going to happen. I built a business plan. I followed through, put on my business hat so that it would be a smooth transition. And you really you have to plan you can't just wing it if you're super young like in you know in your 20s or early 30s yeah you can wing it see what happens but at that point I didn't want to wing it it's like I'd been used to the kind of lifestyle that I had created for myself and my family and so that set the threshold for me and it is possible to do thanks to the online world and all the opportunities I mean, there is such a great, um, so many great avenues to monetize and make a living off of it. Right. You know, I, I want to talk a little more about being a, a full-on entrepreneur in a second, but I, I just want to take a moment to say that it's it's not it's it's a bit rare for a company to give you a product line, but also take you on as an employee. Mm -hmm. It's more traditional for artists to either license their name or, you know, come on as an independent contractor just for that uh -huh. project. So they really, truly invested in you. Yes, yes, they sure did. And that's why I've always felt like you can't ever think there's only one path to do things. I mean, anything is, anything is possible. It, all you have to do is ask and put it out there and see what happens. And yeah, it was something totally new for them. It was the first thing that they, first time they had ever done that. And I mean, it was a win-win situation at the time for us because I had this huge audience of, um, you know, Latino-centric people that wanted, that loved bright colors and glitter and all of that. And they wanted to reach that audience. So I could, I became a national spokesperson for them. So I could, you know, share all of their products with all of my audience that they wouldn't have normally reached. Right, right. And, and the really smart thing about that is that it's, it's really risky when you put your name on a product, there's a lot of expectation behind it. And, and it really is an uphill battle. But if you can get into a position where you're also the spokesperson for their other brands, then you mm -hmm. can sort of amortize the, um, your worth. I mean, your physical uh -huh. worth, not your actual worth, but you know, to that, the, your financial worth with them. Yes. Uh -huh. um, and then it makes it, I don't want to say safer, but it, it kind of, it's a security plan. Like yeah. if your line doesn't do well, or if one of the lines does well or doesn't do it, if, if they don't feel like that's covering the cost of what they're paying you, but you're, you know, jazz handing the heck out of their like glitter and paint lines, oh, yeah. then it evens out. So that's mm -hmm. a really, that's a really smart way to approach it. It's, it's, 
I know it's sometimes hard for artists to think about promoting other people's stuff and other things, but if you can think of it as a security plan, as a, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your plan. Yes. Because they're investing in your name. They're investing. You have to love the products. Yeah. You know, some of, like during the off time in between the Crafty Chica line, it would be tie dye your summer. And I love working with tie-dye. And those are some of my most viewed YouTube videos. Really? So, you know, you have, have to love the products and, and, you know, invest your own special style into it to hit it out of the park. And, yeah, so it was really a fun time, you know, that I think it was eight years that I did that. And then, you know, you just read – it was the same thing, like, as the paper where I felt, you know – I think I've completed everything I want to do here. Like I'm ready for the next adventure. (laughs) And that's when I left. And I still work with them on a freelance basis for different projects and things. And it's just fun to go back to my roots of, you know, writing long form blog posts and essays and things that I didn't have time to do when I was working for them. Now I have time to do them again. So you went from, well, two things. First of all, you know, you've talked about your Latino-centric products and, you know, you had, you were the first, you had the first product line designed by a Latino woman um, of a Latino-centric theme in a major craft store. But you're style, and that's a style that's become part of your brand. It really, I mean, I... I say your name and I see certain colors. I see certain style. You've done such an amazing job at branding yourself um, in that genre. But you you didn't necessarily grow up loving the like Latina art, correct? Well, only because I wasn't really exposed to it a lot. And the way that I grew up, it was, you know, my first love like outside of high school and new age music and all of that that I was into was going to Europe and, you know, getting into new wave out there. And I think it was because I grew up in a non-Latino school that I, I, I tried to counter it of like saying, you know what, I'm just as white as you guys are. <laughs> and it's in kind, I kind of like hid my culture. I didn't want anything to do with it. I disassociated myself And it wasn't until I met my husband and he had a 48 Chevy. He was in like the Pachuco zoot suit outfit Mm -hmm. and he listened to lowrider oldies. And I was like, oh, my God, you're like a walking stereotype of everything (laughs) I'm trying to get away from. But I think I'm crazy about you. (laughs) And we became friends and we eventually started dating and he called me out on everything. And it was like the Dr. Phil relationship where he broke it down and he was like, you know what? I cannot believe you never even ate an enchilada before. Like why? That is just wrong. I mean, it's and criminal you won't too. even give it a chance. And I'm like, I already know I have no desire to. And he took me out to eat Mexican food. And then we went and saw a Latin band, Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I danced the whole night and I'm like, I have been missing out on this my whole life. (laughs) Like just the floodgates opened and I was so ashamed of myself for, you know, um, 
you know, not embracing my culture for all those years and insulting my poor parents who would make rice and beans and tacos for dinner and not every night, but, you know, I'd be like, no, I would rather have a cheeseburger. Thank you. You know, every Mexican restaurant. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I am so stupid. Like, look at all the enchiladas I missed. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and once I really started you know, looking into our history as a culture and the beauty of it. And I, I it always was there, the bright colors and the, the glitter and every, all of that was there, but just not in that form. And so that's when it came to be, you know, is when I met my husband and my eyes were open and I have never looked now I, I add it to everything else that I love. You know, I'm glad I experienced everything that I did while I was younger. It, and this just adds an, a, a, an even better twist to it. <laughs> yeah. So you went, so you had the, these product lines, um, which were mostly, um, just in case people aren't familiar, mostly paper craft based, right? Paint, paper, stencils, um, there was like, um, there was ceramics, like iron-ons, um, you know, iron-ons, tote bags, things like that. Um, now I have two new product lines coming out. One of them is with Sizzix and it's some really cool die cuts and cling stamps and embossing folders. And then I have a line with the crafters workshops, which are these amazing stencils that I designed. And, um, and I'm working on round two for both of those too. So it's been really fun to just, you know, create cool products for, for crafts and mixed media or home decor, whatever you want to use them for. You said in an interview, you know, several years back that out of all the things you do, um, that if you had to pick a craft that speaks to you the most creatively, it would it would have been um, assemblage. Is that still the case? Um, you were making a lot of altars back then. Yes. I don't see you I, making it, those. It's as changed. Much. It's changed because now I would say it's illustration, I've which you've only lot- started to do. Talk a little bit about how you came into becoming now an illustrator, because that's okay. that's a pretty new feather in your crafty hat. Well, I've I've always loved like drawing and doodling, but because of my art background and the bad grades, I never gave myself credit for it, and I would I just never really developed that skill. And then being married to an artist. Anytime I needed anything drawn, I would just go to Patrick and have him draw it for me. And it reached a point to where he said, you know what, Muhead, you need to learn how to draw. And he goes, it's, it's a skill. And it's if you break it down, these are the main points of how you get going on it. And so he taught me step by step. And again, it's practice that makes progress. The more you do... The more you work at something, the better you'll get at it. And so I started doing these drawings and illustrations and paintings. And it's totally like I start with, you know, watercolor paper and I'll put it on there. And then I'll scan it into the computer and add some digital elements. And then because I'm insecure about the, you know, the talent level of it, I'll add a fun quote, like an empowering quote. And what that was the reason why I had added the quotes because I thought, well, maybe they'll overlook that it's not the best drawing. But what happened was they started selling like crazy. (laughs) And um, yeah, and now it's like a big part of my business of, of doing illustrations. And I have 
you know, uh, printed images. I do um, mono printing on the big press. I, I'll do small ones for greeting cards or for different companies or um, it's just in a variety of ways. And I, I push myself to even make my own graphics library of like a coffee cup, right, you know, right. a happy girl, a sad girl, so that as I'm blogging, I can incorporate those in there. Granted, I don't have time every time to do an original illustration to go with each blog post. So I'll like stockpile a whole bunch of them and paint them or sometimes I'll, you know, color them in the computer. But yeah, I love that part of things because I can, it's another way of spreading the gospel of glitter is by, you know, putting a fun illustration with a cool quote with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it goes with your, whole, you know, your whole empowerment gig. It really just mm-hmm. fits, fits right with it. I, I wanted to go back and talk a little bit more about becoming an entrepreneur and what that's meant for you as someone who's grown into their creativity, as someone who's grown into, you're an adult artist now, if you know what I mean. I really feel like you've grown into yourself. Do you feel like becoming an entrepreneur and the lack of safety net that that is a part of that has helped or hindered your creativity? Um, I don't look at it like a lack of a safety net. I think that's one way of thinking we need to break out of is that fear of saying, oh my God, I don't have a steady paycheck. You know what? When I left, I love to create. I left excited to triple my income. I look at it as an opportunity to have a bigger cushion because now I'm in control of things and I'm in control of my time. I can choose to, you know, go on a speaking engagement for two days and make as much as I would have made two weeks, you know, at working for a paycheck. So I, it actually um, helps my creativity because it helps me think smarter of like, you know, okay, this day is just going to be pure brainstorm, fun, doodle, see what comes out of things. But these other three days are going to be work days where I have to take this one piece of content and I'm going to split it up six different ways. I'm going to take this one illustration. I'm going to put this out six different ways. I'm going to monetize each thing. So it's it's really helped me because um, having that mindset of, of not thinking like, oh, my God, I don't have a safety net. Oh, my God, I'm on my own. I get excited about it. And I'm like, all right, 10K next month, bring it on, you know, like or 15K next month, bring it on, you know. Whereas before it was like, oh, I'd have this same paycheck over and over mm. again. So it's just getting out of that way of thinking of of you know, limiting yourself. But so in a way, it's, it's kind of broken a glass ceiling for you. It has. It totally has. And something because- you just said, I think, is really important to stop and spend a little time on that. It, it's really important for people to know that are trying to monetize their craft or what, you know, trying to make a living or even just supplement income with their art, that you don't have to create a million brand new things. Like working right. smart means, like, like what you said, taking one thing and breaking it out to be able to spread that among yes exactly so if you would I would love it if you would give an example of a time that you've done that um so one example is say I record make a video a YouTube video or or, let me not even call it a YouTube video I'm going to make a video from that one video I know I'm going to put an end card on for YouTube 
and then I will save that to my desktop. I'll do that same video again and it will be for Facebook. And then I'll edit it down to, you know, I don't know, 15 seconds to a minute for Instagram. And then I can edit it down to six seconds for Vine. And then, so say I don't want to use it, the whole video on Facebook, I'll make a trailer so that it will lead over to my YouTube channel. So that way I have one video that I made that I can use on all these different platforms. If it's a good topic and it gets good views, I know, okay, I'm going to save this because then I can teach a workshop off of this, mm. or this can be an online class. Another thing is I look at my um, traffic results on my website or on my even on my Facebook page for the amount of likes of things and I'll say, okay, people really love this project. So I'm going to do more of these projects. I, I use, you know, the traffic numbers as success measures of what people want to see and what they like and what has got the most engagement. And it also helped like with Snapchat, you know, to say, okay, here I am working on this project. I got a lot of feedback on this. I'm going to go ahead and, you know, make this a tutorial or, you know, or I'm going to, this is going to be the feature I put in my newsletter because this got the most response from Snapchat. So um, it's just really paying attention to, to how you can use things different ways. And even with the product line, I, I learned from Jamie from the Crafters Workshop, we were, I kept trying to do a new sugar skull design and it just wasn't coming together. And I'm like, I am just sick of drawing sugar skulls. And there, there's no sugar skulls on the line. And she's like, we need at least one. She looked through all the images on Google images and found one that I did a long time ago. And she said, this one is adorable. Do you have this one? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I do. I have it in my files. She's like, clean it up, baby. You know, there it is. <laughs> yeah, reuse, so, repurpose. It, yeah. Yeah, it's, that helped so much. So like you said, it's not always reinventing the wheel. Sometimes it's just putting new hubcaps on the one you already have. And, you know, taking one piece of content. If I write an article for my blog and it gets a lot of feedback and I know people are interested, I'm like, that is an excellent topic for a speech I'm going to give you know, to this women's business group. And, you know, so those, I can take that blog post and do that. Or if I write an essay, you know, I do a lot of storytelling nights here in Phoenix. I can say, oh my God, this one got such great feedback. I'm, this is the story I'm going to tell for Arizona Storytellers Night. So it's just really paying attention to how, and looking at that way too, like, you know, here's a piece of content that can go out all these different ways. We've spent a lot of time talking about your art and your crafts, um, but I wanted to also give mention to your other, one of your many other talents as a novelist. Uh-huh. And I wanted, to I wanted you to speak a little bit about the craft of writing fiction. You had your first book, um, I believe in 2010, Waking Up in the Land of Glitter. Uh-huh. At what point, first of all, in the litany of things that you've just listed, where where does one find the time to now become a novelist? Well, okay, Vicki, this is the challenge part. Like, 
this is the part that has had many ugly cries associated with it because it, that also is something that I had always wanted to do was write women's fiction, primarily of um, Latina characters in the creative arts who are not gang members or who are not crossing the border or anything, but just people like who grew up not that those things are bad but i'm just saying there's a lot of books already with those amazing storylines that they've done and i i grew up you know middle class here in phoenix and i wanted to read stories about that you know and so that was part of my um passion behind writing stories like that it does not fit with anything else that i do so it's always a challenge to um allow myself the time to take away from my business to work on that and i've had many business coaches tell me you need to give up writing fiction because it's a waste of your time you need to just work on you know the business end of things and I i've tried to let it go and i can't i have two I think that's fiction terrible books. advice I would like to just stop for a second. I mean, I get from a business perspective. Yes, strictly business perspective. That's where they're coming from. I mean, I also don't know how well your books are doing. So I guess I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that, you know, as somebody who's known you for 15 years, this Mm -hmm. is 100% an extension of who you are as a human being. And it expresses, even though it is still very the essence is the same. Like you're so clearly strongly branded in every, which is, you know, that kind of takes the creativity, even putting saying branded on it, but it's, everything (laughs) is so clearly your essence. I think these books, these fictions are just a long form version of that. Well, the, the challenge came where they're about, you know, the arts and crafts world and the drama in there. And crafters they're making stuff they don't really have time to stop and read books so they didn't they were not bestsellers or anything i'm, I'm working on the third one right now they actually sell better on audiobook i was they're just going to say that's they seem yes, perfect for audiobooks um random house picked them up for audiobook and i get my royalty checks for you know audiobooks i love that are and you di- are you the narrator do you, did no, you get to read no. it? No, they okay. hired two different actresses to do them, which was kind of weird, like hearing it. But they did a good job, you know. It was. It, oh, I'm that happy must have been so. It. Was that was that difficult to hear somebody else's voice yes. speaking the words of your characters? Oh my! It, it wasn't so much speaking the words of the characters, but like one of the books, they gave every character a horrible Latin accent. <laughs> Oh no! And my Just what you were trying because, to get away from. Yes, because uh, they're like second and third generation characters, so they don't necessarily have accents like those. Right. And and they weren't even like Mexican accents; they're like Puerto Rican accents, you know. So it was kind of funny, but hey, they're selling. I get so much feedback from people who read them and or who've heard them, who love them. They also it sounds so weird. But um, they're sold in other countries, like in Poland. And so I get feedback from people reading it in Poland who read these books. And so I just love that it's something different. It exercises a totally different part of my brain. Right, right. And I love doing it. And I've tried to set it aside so that I can do my business plan, hit it out of the park, and then spend the rest of my life writing books. And and that was like a very close friend of mine was coaching me along, you know, to try to do that. But it haunts me like with, you know, that quote, if you can't stop thinking about it, 
then you better not stop working on it. And that's how it is. Like, I can't stop thinking about it. And so this book that I'm working on now that I've been working on slowly for the past couple years because I've just been squeezing it in when I can. It's like I'm coming around the corner to finish it and it's going to be so nice once I'm done with it. And then I'll see what happens from there. But I just love being able to add my mark to the collection of women's fiction in America, you know, to have my stories woven into the fabric of that so that's what I'm happy about and it you know it doesn't fit with the product lines and you know even my my speaking engagements I'll you know give these great business speeches and then at the end oh here's my book waking up in the land of glitter and they're like is it a self-help book no it's about three women who find 350 (laughs) pounds of glitter you know (laughs) so it is kind of odd the way that it fits in but that's life. What does fit? Nothing fits in perfectly. And I love to do it. So, you know, I don't want to cheat myself out of that experience. And, and, you know, while these other things are doing great, that's the one that has always struggled. But you know what? I love to do it. And, and I'm always going to keep working on it. Well, Kathy, it has been so lovely as always talking with you. Thank you so much for sharing some of your some of your sparkle with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such an honor. Kathy Conomarillo's how-to videos, musings, and art pieces can be found on her website. Her new Crafty Chica line of Sizzix products will be available this fall. For more info, photos, and links to some of the things that we've talked about, please check out this episode's show notes page at vickihowell.com slash craftish. Thanks again to our sponsor, Makers Mercantile. I've also actually teamed up with them for one video a month for my weekly live Ask Me Monday stream on Facebook to show a new craft demo courtesy of them. Uh, Next Monday, I will be showing Shibori dyeing using one of their kits, so make sure and tune in for that. You can find those on facebook.com slash Vicki Howell. Craftish is a Campbell production. It is produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. Next week on Craftish is the author of Knitting Ephemera, Carol Sukowski. That episode will go live on Tuesday. Until then, take a little time to be creative and make something. Breathe in, craft out. Bye.